Wash Swish. Welcome back to another wonderful week at the Weird. I'm your host, Dan Lajoie, and sitting across from me in uh, the cyberspace world is my trusty AI friend, Riley Stewart 2.0. People, I don't know if you're aware of the fact that Riley is not an actual human being. He is uh, an AI that I built in my garage in the late 80s out of parts from um, the Robbie robots. Can you imagine if I was actually AI, what a huge fail that would be? No, it would be wonderful. You'd, you'd, you'd present it to your bosses and they'd be like, Dan, we really appreciate your work, but this um, the AI you created is really bitchy, really bitchy. Like Diane, my receptionist, she went home in tears. <laughs> it remind me, it's my favorite character in the Hitchhiker series is Marvin. The depressed robot, yeah. Right? Yeah. He's the best. I love him. And if you ever if you ever hear the BBC adaptation, the actor they got is perfect. Who's that? Who who was it? It's a voice well, I'm talking about the BBC voice, mm-hmm. not the, 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 the movie. I don't know who it was, but he is perfect. I never saw the movie either. Who who plays it in the movie? Well, it's a robot. I don't know who plays it. Martin Freeman, of course, is is uh, Arthur. I thought he was perfect. Which I exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's got that every guy kind of vibe going. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I do too. He's, he's You don't see him much, but I like him. Well, I love, again, when these openings just lead right into the story. Does it really? No, not at all. <laughs> now, he was in, Martin Freeman's in that show that everyone likes but me, which was the Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Oh, I love it. Sherlock. I didn't like it because they would not do enough. They would just talk all the time. Big, long talk. Well, there was stuff talk, that talk, happened. Talk, 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 talk. Not enough for me. The epicness of it. I'm watching The Handsmaid Tale right now. and, and The uh, Handmaid's Tale. Sounds like a porn. It's The Handsmaid's, and with a Z at the end of maids. So it's one of those cheap ones you get at Walmart, because you think you're getting the real series. It was filmed in Bulgaria. With the same woman playing all the parts. Then you can tell. Well, it's actually, it's a man dressed as a woman. A good um, show with that Margaret Atwood book, yeah. and very timely. Oh my God, that's what's creepy about it is that there, what happened at the Capitol in the United States in January of 21, this year. Yeah. How freaking eerily similar it is to what transpires in that story, right? Well, so, and the huge move once again to um, outlaw abortion. Right, exactly. They're push, pushing hard for that again. Let's not bum everybody out. Uh, tell me a story. Uh, we're, not, we're going back in the time machine tonight, uh, not so far, but uh, about 100 years ago into the past. I was just a boy. Yes. You were born in 1908? I was a wee boy in short pants with dreams. Oh my God, that's beautiful. You should do a comic strip series on that. I can't draw. Yeah, it'd be great. Okay. <laughs> our, uh, our tale tonight takes us, Riley, to the dark forest of Germany. Like the black forest where the cake comes from? Yes. Yes, yes. And I don't know about you, but as a child, I always envisioned Germany as the setting for a lot of those fairy tales that we were read. You know, the gabled rooftops, the the fortified towns, the dark, eerie forests that were lush and and beautiful, though, still in their own way. Uh, You know, where fairies would live and witches and and, and werewolves, perhaps Mm -hmm. near the town of Bedburg. Um, so our, our tale tonight takes us deep into this land and, and will, I think, stay true to this dark and mysterious reputation that the forest has long had, dating all the way back to ancient times, like in the time of Rome, when these forests terrified the Romans. They refused to go into these forests. That was the border of their empire. 
Would they actually not go into those forests? Was it the Rhine or the Dan- the Rhine? I guess they they that was the the eastern extent, northeastern extent of the Roman Empire. The, the German wow. barbarians were too fierce; it was just not worth their trouble. They walled that part of their empire up. Yeah, so they they did not. It's the same thing with like the Scots, right? They so they built Hadrian's Wall. So this is the story of a brother and a sister named Hansel and Gretel. Have you heard of this story? <laughs> I wish it was. What would you do if I just literally told you that story and tried to pass it off like it was real? I'd get into it. It's a good story. It is my favorite. My favorite version of it, of course, has to be Bugs Bunny. The Bugs Bunny version is like the 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 Looney Tunes adaptation. Oh, maybe I do with the witch with the hairpins. Yeah, she cackles, and when she runs away, the hairpins fly. And she's um, and the kids are drawn like with these huge egg heads, and they're very und Hansel und Gretel. They're very weird looking. Oh, it's amazing. Well, but that and that for me, that uh, fairy tale it was maybe the one that terrified me the most. And I, uh, the version I got as a kid was the scary one. You know, mm-hmm. they they kill her, and push her in the oven. I think the version I read, the breadcrumbs were eaten and they were lost forever. That's right. Yeah. And I remember thinking as a kid, well, why would you even set that that device up that they're smart and they're dropping breadcrumbs if you're just going to slap us in the face when you think they're in the clear? No, but no, but didn't Hansel and Gretel survive at the end? Don't their father, doesn't their father? That's another version of it. Oh. There's different versions of that story. It's Brothers Grimm, right? It's the Brothers Grimm? There's Brothers Grimm, but there's also Hans, I believe Christ, uh, Hans Christian Andersen had one as well, or Perot, one of them. There was, there's different versions. And now the, it, you know, the witch doesn't die. You know, if you were to read it to your kids now, she's like a misunderstood woman who just wants to save the trees. I find it hard to believe that Hans Christian Andersen would get into that. Well, why do you know the guy? No, but it is the Brothers Grimm. I just checked. Oh, thanks for fact checking me and making me look like a fool in front of all our German fans. Well, I'm not fact checking you. It just doesn't sound like I, you know, my my minor in university was children's literature. Oh, here we go again. Well, no, but I know this stuff. Why don't you tell me all about Louisa May Alcott? I will. What do you want to know? Which sister uh, most deserved to die in Little Women? None of them deserved to die. That was a horrible turning point. Why did the little men hate the little women so much? They didn't. Oh. They didn't. They li- they loved them because, well, one of them was the head of their facility that they lived in. The little men. It was an orphanage. They were, and the little men were like little fairy men, right? Like they lived in, they had tiny little, they lived in like a thimble and... They were orphan boys, Dan. And you know what? You're talking about where I'm from. That's Concord, Massachusetts. So... If you're going to pick any story and you pick Louisa May Alcott, that's where she's from. So I know that very well. I worked at the museum. I disagree. Okay. Well, I think the, the um, listeners would like to hear your story rather than mine. <laughs> All right. So the setting. <laughs> Boy, did we go off the tracks on that. I know. We've been good lately and now, ah, uh, whatever. Uh, the setting, Riley, for our story is located in Bavaria and could easily be found in a Hans Christian Andersen story or, or Grimm Brothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it's located uh, in the woods outside the town of Groburn, which is about an hour drive north of Munich. And uh, the homestead where our story takes place has a very unsettling past that permeates still to this day. Okay. This story, in fact, is one of the creepiest and most famous unsolved murders in German history. It occurred in 1922 on the isolated Hinterkaifeck farmstead. The farm was owned by the Gruber family, which included farmer Andreas, his wife Cazelia, 
their adult daughter, Victoria, and her two children, seven-year-old Kazilia and two-year-old Joseph. I have to ask, are they in any way related to Hans Gruber? Yes, this is the prequel to Die Hard. I knew it. (laughs) As well as a maid uh, named Maria Baumgartner. In April of 1922, the bodies of every member of the Gruber family were found slaughtered in a hideous and gruesome fashion throughout the property under mysterious circumstances that have, even a century later, never been solved. Okay, I didn't see that coming. That that was a that's it's early in the podcast for such a big sledgehammer to come down from the sky and hit us. It's funny you mentioned that. Oh no. No. In the days leading up to the murders, Andreas had been noticing strange things at the farm, such as footsteps in the snow leading out of the woods toward the house and never heading back out. The tracks apparently led up to the back of his home, but stopped a few feet from it, just dead. So mm-hmm. it's not like they walked, he could follow them to a door, you know, or into the barn. Uh, they just stopped as if someone walked up to the house, stared at it and disappeared. Alarmed, he turned around and began to follow the tracks far into the fields that surrounded his farm. As Andreas marched through the powdery snow, he could see where the trail was leading to. A few hundred yards out, he saw that the footprints had come from the dark woods that surrounded Hinterkaifeck. A chill ran down his spine. He raced back to inspect his home. He was worried that maybe a vagrant or someone had, you know, yeah, of course. Yeah, a hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After searching his barn, tool shed, and house, Andreas sat perplexed at the strange tracks of a late night visitor that seemed to have simply disappeared. Uh. The next day, he went out uh, to look again, and apparently, the tracks had been mostly covered over. They had snowed, or the wind had blown, and he wasn't. He wanted to continue to follow where they had come from, but wasn't able to. Another strange occurrence was the discovery of a newspaper in the house that he didn't remember buying and one of the family's two house keys disappearing. While Andreas remarked on these odd occurrences to his friends, he never reported them to the police. And another strange fact that went unremarked upon until after the murders was that the Gruber's previous maid had quit six months prior due to the fact that she believed the farm was haunted. Oh, wow. Okay. Andreas had dismissed her concerns as superstition, much to his own detriment, as it turns out. And you can understand that. These are pretty stoic people. They're they're hard stock, you know? Yeah. They're not prone to believing flights of fancy. And he apparently wrote this off. It, it was known by some of the neighbors that this was, that, that, you know, the mate had left for that reason. Uh, but he had all, and he had commented on it, saying he thought it was rubbish. Another strange piece of information that investigators discovered was that young Kazelia had been having trouble staying awake in school, and one day she was found to be asleep in class. When she was awoken by the teacher and asked why she had been so tired, she told them how she had spent the night looking for her mother, who had run away into the woods the night before, and when she was discovered, she was crying uncontrollably. Mm. Kazelia also claimed that she kept hearing footsteps in the attic and that they were keeping her awake at night. Apparently, they were the loud, not just someone walking back and forth, but stomping loud noises that no one else in the house could hear. Oh, seriously? No one else 
Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. And the school didn't believe her, right? They just chalked this up to a lie that a kid might tell because they got caught sleeping. Stupid school. I believe her. The family was known for keeping to themselves, as many do in this part of the world. Still, neighbors grew concerned on April 1st, 1922, when young Kazelia missed school and the entire family failed to show up to church where Victoria was a member of the choir. Kazelia missed school again on April 3rd, and by then, mail for the family had begun to pile up at the local post office. And for many, uh, in the accounts that I read, this was sort of like the last straw. This was weird. I guess this is just something you didn't do. You don't miss your mail. Yeah, I, I assume when you live in a rural setting, mail is your is your conduit to the outside world. It's an important thing. That's right. By April 4th, a search party was assembled by neighboring families led by a man named Lorenz Schlittenbauer. I love that name. I do too. That's so beautiful. Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Uh, a farmer who had previously had a relationship with the widowed Victoria. What they found was truly shocking, a grisly scene that haunted the party for the rest of their lives. Uh. The party began with a cursory search of the property. They called out to the members of the family, but no one came. They searched the exterior. They looked in the house through the outside. They tried to see if the barn was open. It wasn't. They ended up prying the lock of the barn to see if any clues to the family's whereabouts could be gleaned. Oh my God, what are you doing? I blew my nose. What they found inside was beyond their wildest nightmares. Oh God, is this going to be something? I can, I'm bracing myself. Yeah. Inside, the search party found four brutally battered bodies stacked one on top of the other and covered with hay. At first, they didn't know what they were looking at, but when the hay was removed, the horror of what had occurred there was revealed. The reports from the family's autopsies conducted by court physician Dr. Johann Baptiste Aumuller paints a horrifying picture of their injuries. The elder Kazilia had her skull cracked from multiple blows to the head, as well as bearing signs of strangulation. Andreas had blood caked all over his face, which was described as shredded, with his cheekbones sticking out of his ragged flesh. Oh, man. The daughter, Victoria, also had her skull shattered. Her head showed nine star-shaped, and that's a quotation, uh, wounds, and the right side of her face had been hit with a blunt object. The young Kazelia had her jaw shattered, and her face and neck were covered with gaping circular wounds. After the grisly discovery, the party next moved to the house. Both the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, and Josef's body were yet to be discovered, and the party held out hope that they may still be alive. Maria, who, get this, only started working there that day. It was her first day on the job. Can you imagine? That no. is some bad luck right there. Yeah. And little Josef were indeed found inside the farmhouse. Unfortunately, they too had met a horrific end. And if only Maria had started the next day, this never would have happened. And there's the familiar footsteps of Dan's oh, you can children. Hear that. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's not my children. Oh, maybe it's that monster going to cover you in hay. <sighs> Maria was killed by crosswise blows to the head in her chambers, and Joseph by a heavy blow to the face in his cot in Victoria's room. Like the bodies in the barn, theirs were also covered. Maria's with her sheets, and Joseph's with one of his mother's dresses. 
While the elder Cazelia, Andreas, and Victoria likely died instantly from expertly delivered blows or seemingly expertly delivered blows from a matic. Do you know what a matic is? I've never heard this word before. Nor had I. Uh, so it's like a, a pickaxe-like tool uh, that farmers would use for digging and, and chopping. It's got, it's a pickaxe. Think a pickaxe. So it's almost got like a hole on one side and a blade on Yeah, side. okay. The autopsy revealed that the young Cazelia had lived several hours after the murders and clumps of her own hair found in her hands and bald patches on her head suggest that she had torn out her hair in distress before dying of shock. Oh my God, Dan. This is dark. Every time I go to Germany, it gets dark, eh? I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's that's Germany for you. <laughs> the authorities theorized that Cazelia tore out her own hair as she laid terrified and dying next to the corpses of her mum and grandparents in the barn. And they're not sure if at what point they were, or at least I couldn't find at what point the bodies were stacked, but I could just picture that she was stacked alive, mm -hmm. you know, and then covered in hay. One of the eeriest things about the Hinterkaifeck farm murders is the fact that four of the victims seem to have been lured to their deaths as there was no sign of restraints being used on the bodies. Investigators concluded that the killer must have drawn them in one at a time and systematically attacked them with the mattock. The question then I have is, what were they doing beforehand? What were they doing where was the murderer? Yeah. How would he have lured them in one at a time? These murders occurred in the dead of night. Well, and if it was a single murderer, it had to be more than one person because if you're going to bring one person into the barn and kill them, the others could go, oh, unless they're restrained. But there's no sign of restraints. So wouldn't one person against that many people, the odds aren't very good unless it was an incredibly strong person or something supernatural. Yeah, well, this is where it just, it's very weird. So what were the people doing before? And if they were in bed at night, which you would assume that they were, why did they go to the barn? Mm -hmm. There's no sign on their body that they were restrained. You know, there would have been bruising perhaps on their wrists or ankles mm -hmm. or on their mouths. No evidence of that. So why one at a time did they go to the barn? Odd. And why weren't they suspicious on guard when they were going to the barn? If they heard noises, if they were worried about why, you know, someone, you would have thought that maybe they would have brought a weapon with them. They're at a farm. They would have had at least like a shovel or something that they could have brought in with them. There was no sign of struggle in the barn other than them being hit. Well, and I assume that at least the father is a, he's a farmer. He's not a weak man. No. He's a man whose livelihood relies on him being physical. So I'm sure that he's a pretty, you know. A pretty capable person. It makes me think of almost the Blair Witch Project where she would lure, she lured them at the end of the movie into the, the basement. Like they had to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't really have a choice of where they, they didn't have a choice in even where they were heading, right? They were always heading towards that house. Vibe, it, it just doesn't, I can't, I can't think of a, a way that without restraints, you can lure four people into the barn. Considering it was the middle of the night, it's logical that each family member was brought there one by one, but by who and how? Those are the big questions, right? Yes, of course. Or, and by who? Is it one person or was it a group of people? Or something not of this world. Again, no evidence that there was, there was a single set of footsteps. We know that. Uh, Andreas claimed that he saw that and told neighbors about it before it happened, right? And these but, were just normal footsteps. These were the footsteps of a man. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they were just regular everyday footsteps. 
And the other question is, why were Joseph and Maria killed where they slept instead? Yeah. Why were they killed in their beds where they slept and not lured into the into the barn? Why weren't all the people just killed in their beds in the farmhouse? Like the DeFeo murders. And one of my um, big questions here, and this might just be me being weird, but why um, were they covered with straw? Why were all the bodies covered? So the, the ones in the barn were covered with straw. The ones in the house were covered with the sheet and with the mother's dress. Right. Okay. Odd. Even that choice of the mother's dress. Why not just cover him with his own sheet? He died in his bed. Why would you go to the closet, take a dress out, and cover the body with that? So that kind of ritual involved with murder kind of suggests to me that it's like a serial killer. It's somebody with that kind of psychopathy. I agree. Okay. See, we agreed. See, finally, it took us several years and lots of therapy, but we finally did it. We agreed on something. I love your kids running. I'm a bit disappointed because in the final rendering of of the uh, of our podcast, I feel like you don't hear them ever. I feel like people just think we're making it up. No, you can hear it. I can hear it in the background. But a lot of times I cut it out. Okay. What are you drinking? Lemonade. Okay. It looks like a milkshake. No, just lemonade. Do you put cream in your lemonade? No, it's that's ice. <laughs> cream. Can you imagine? It's cream of lemon. Oh, well, actually, that'd be okay. Cream of lemon. Lemon cream is good. I, no, I, no, thank you. Like a dessert, like a... a, a a meringue. But lemon would curdle milk instantly. Well, not milk, yeah, but you could make a lemon cream. I learned that once when I had a cup of tea that I didn't realize I'd put lemon in and then I put milk in it and it instantly turned to cottage cheese. Oh, that's disgusting. Well, it was a snack. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. They're really stomping. What do they do up there? You have the most active kids I've ever seen. They're probably dancing. Do they dance together? My daughter dances like on the spot. She's got, she's a ball of, of wonderful energy. Okay. All right. So despite the horrifying fates of the Grubers, the search party found that this is the, this is, it just get, there's so many weird things with this story. So despite the horrifying fates, the family faced, uh, the search party found that the farm animals and family dog had not been harmed and had in fact, even been fed and tended to in the days between the murders and their discovery. Police also discovered okay, someone. Had, whoa! Yeah, you, you just you just can't drop a nugget like that and run. I'm not because I'm about to add to it. Okay, okay, add to it and then we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. Police had also discovered someone had recently eaten food in the family's house, causing them to conclude the killer had not only lived in the house after murdering six people, but had also performed daily tasks like preparing meals, maintaining the farm, taking care of those animals. And smoke, and the other piece, smoke had even been seen coming from the chimney in those days as well. Yet another piece of odd evidence. Why? Right. Would, would, uh, you, Why? Why would you murder people and stay? It's definitely some kind of weird psychopath. It's, it's definitely some kind of aberrant behavior. Why would you open yourself up to being caught? Okay, so here's the other thing. It didn't take that long for them to find the bodies. It was only a few days. Mm-hmm. How did he get out? When did he know to get out? Why go to all the trouble of doing farm tasks, feeding the dog, you know, running the house? How did he know when to leave? I can't even begin to speculate. Another interesting note, no footprints. Again, this is, you know, late spring. No footprints uh, in the snow leading away from the farmhouse. Right. Right? So no new tracks. So everything you're saying it seems to point to a supernatural entity. I, I don't know. Are you drinking wine? Yeah. 
I've never known you to drink wine while we're recording. Or in the early days, I did. I'm super impressed. Yeah. It's very elegant. Well, I'm an elegant man. Yeah. When we think of you, that's the first thing we think of. Want to know the second? What? I'm, te- I'm teasing. I don't have a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a second. So, I, I, so, like, why would you do that? It makes no sense. So perhaps even more chillingly, the fact that the Gruber's old maid had been frightened by sounds in the night indicates that the killer or killers might have been residing in the house months before the horrific crime. Maybe, right? Like if she heard that noise six months before the murders, who knows how long that person or thing had been there. So the investigation, police initially suspected vagrants or other traveling men of ill repute, but tossed out this theory after large sums of money were found within the house and nothing had been taken. Okay. Nothing. Okay. So now that puts us on a completely different path. People who knew the family, who knew the the basic things that they had, all testified that nothing of value had been taken. All the things that you would take mm-hmm. were there, including money. So it's definitely a crime of passion now. Besides the bodies and the hay and bedsheets used to cover them, nothing had been disturbed at all in the farmhouse. When the police questioned the former maid about her belief that the property was haunted, she doubled down on her assertion that the house was haunted. When police asked her why she believed Hinterkaifeck had ghosts, she said it was because, get this, she kept hearing footsteps in the attic and disembodied voices that would sometimes speak to her in a menacing fashion. Oh, wow. Okay. One source, and I I don't know the validity of the source, claimed that the voice was telling her to get out. That if she didn't leave, she would be, she would die. It's a very good thing she heeded that warning because she might not be alive today. She also told the police, and this is on the record, she also told police that she had a constant feeling of being watched while at the farm. Just that creepy Yuck. feeling that someone is, is watching you. Yes. So though Andreas did not believe her, he too had confided in neighbors about some strange happenings in the days before the murder. He had mentioned the newspaper. He had mentioned the, the footsteps, you know, that in the unmarked snow that only led in one direction. And he told his neighbors, no one in the house itself knew who the newspaper belonged to. No one knew, you know, could could explain what happened with the footsteps. And the neighbors claimed to have not seen anybody or anything uh, out of the ordinary at the time. However, one neighbor offered to lend Andreas a gun to defend his family with. And for whatever reason, Andreas declined. Oh, dear. And while it, it's a relatively quiet and safe area, you know, there it's not a high crime area. So it's possible Andreas convinced himself the footsteps in the snow were nothing to worry about. Maybe it was a kid playing a prank or, you know, something like that. Well, and you know how hardy and stoic farm folk tend to be. Probably just thought, oh, well, you know, I'll deal with it. Yep. Mm. Uh, to make matters even stranger, one of the family's two keys disappeared shortly before the murder. Combined with the footsteps from the woods, sounds in the attic, and a smoking chimney in the days following the crime, these odd details paint a horrifying picture of a ruthless intruder who may have taken up residence in the house. If it was indeed a human being. So the suspects. Yeah. Suspicion eventually settled. And this is incredible. Some of the, the theories that were out there are pretty out there too. Suspicion eventually settled on several men connected to the family in part because of some domestic turbulence at the farm. Victoria was a widow whose husband had died in world war one. And the parentage of her son, Joseph remains a mystery to this day. 
She had had a relationship with Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the man who had led the search party that discovered the bodies, and both have publicly referred to Josef as their child. Very scandalous. I love it. Very Jackie Collins. Well, and remember too, so this is 22. Josef is two years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he would have been conceived in 2019. So it's definitely not her husband's child. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, So this this child is um, someone else's. So apparently they planned to get married until Andreas, the dad, interfered and their relationship ended. Lorenz eventually married someone else, though he and his wife welcomed a baby. It tragically died a few weeks later. And I can understand maybe a little bit Andreas. It's very old-fashioned. He's probably an old-fashioned kind of guy. Yeah. In an old-fashioned time. Yeah. Her husband was listed as missing in action, mm-hmm. although there's re- conflicting reports that whether he was killed or... I could see where he felt that, no, you are married mm-hmm. and you need to stay true to your husband who may come back one day, although that wasn't very likely, was it? No, no, not in that war. Police zeroed in on Lorenz as a suspect. They theorized that, traumatized by the death of his baby and unwilling to pay child support for Joseph, he'd come to the farm, located only a few hundred yards from his own, and murdered Victoria and her family. The theory was bolstered by the fact that those with him during the initial investigation had found his behavior suspicious. They said that he acted nonchalant, viewing and handling the bodies without signs of repulsion. I should note, though, that if he was in a state of shock, well, maybe he would have acted that way. That's not necessarily a sign of guilt. Hmm. I I would buy that except for the handling the bodies part. I don't know if anybody could be in that much shock that you would be sort of cavalier about handling corpses that are not just even corpses, but they're badly damaged human bodies that of people you know. And love. You know, yeah, I'm not sure that shock could put enough of a veil over you to make you oblivious to the fact that that's horrifying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, people also noticed that he seemed to really know his way around the farm. He was very intimate with, you know, where things might be placed and where things might be and where the bedrooms were and things like that. The police questioned Lorenz extensively, but were unable to conclusively place him at the crime scene. His behavior could be explained by shock, as I mentioned, and and the police sort of thought that maybe too was the case, and his knowledge of the farm by his relationship with Victoria. Mm -hmm. This theory didn't hold a lot of water because it was largely speculative, not to mention his, this same neighbor was the man who offered Andreas a gun to protect his family. Okay. So the person who said, maybe you need a gun, Andreas, was, was, uh, was Lorenz. Another theory floated at the time was that Josef was actually the child of Victoria and her own father, Andreas. What? Yeah. Andreas, get this, Andreas and his daughter Victoria had been arrested for incest in 1915. Oh my God. Obviously an abusive relationship. I love the fact that we've gone from Jackie Collins to flowers in the attic. So Victoria served one month in prison for the incest incident and her father, Andreas, was sent away for a year. So this is a creepy motherfucker. Yeah, like you said it. Andreas's proclivities for incest and abuse were frequently discussed, apparently, in neighboring towns. And supposedly, Andreas had had other children with Cazelia besides Victoria, 
but she was the only one to survive his violent hands into adulthood. Jesus Christ. So this horrific fact produced three theories. One theory stemming from Andreas and Victoria's incestuous relationship is that Victoria's husband had come back after many years and had been horrified to see that Victoria had had a child with another man. It was thought by many that Joseph was the product of continued incest, so some thought Victoria's husband went ballistic and killed the whole family. And I kind of get that. You know, you you come home and they're all products of this horrible evil, right? Supporters of this theory believe Gabriel didn't actually die in combat. That's her former husband. They speculate that Victoria's husband returned to Hinterkaifeck farm after several years when he realized that his wife had been with another man, resulting in baby Joseph, and he murdered all six residents in a fit of rage. But where had he been? Mm -hmm. Why would he have been away for several, I think at this point it was seven years. Uh, Why come back when you hear this news? Why wouldn't you come back when the war was over? I, I don't know. And to kill innocent children? Right. Like that, you, you, you're killing innocent people. I mean, if that is the case, then you're a complete psychopath. And to do it the way he did, right? Maybe he had, but remember World War One was awful. Maybe he had extreme PTSD and was right? destroyed psychologically. So some, some actually speculate that he had uh, been taken captive and sent to a Russian gulag. And there were even reports that sort of matched his description of a German former German soldier who defected to the Russian side and actually became a member of the the Red Army. Mm -hmm. Before he went missing, it was reported that he often would openly sympathize with the communist movement and argued that Germany would be better, uh, better off under the Red Regime. You know, it's possible. But the theory broke down when it was revealed that many of her husband's military comrades attested to him being killed in action in World War One. They spoke to the police okay. and said, no, he died. We saw him with our own eyes. Like so many others, he died in the trenches. There was witnesses. There was no doubt. Okay. Correct. Another theory stemming from the incest was that one of them might have committed a murder-suicide. This one was also quickly dismissed, though, because none of their fatal injuries could have been self-inflicted, so it wasn't possible that the crimes were a murder-suicide perpetrated by, you know, either Victoria or Andreas. If it's a gun, sure, but when it's a heavy, you know, instrument like that, you can't you can't hit yourself several times with to something death, like that. With to a, death. With a pickaxe. Knock yourself out, maybe. So the murderer had to be someone who didn't live at the farm, but who? Only one thing could be stated with any degree of certainty. The crimes had been committed by someone who knew their way around a farm, as evidenced by the continued upkeep after the murders and by the expert wielding of the mattock. Mm-hmm. The brutality of the murders suggested that they had been committed by someone with a personal vendetta against one or several of the members of the Gruber family. But police at the time failed to come up with answers and eventually closed the case, though it would not remain closed. The Hinterkaifa case has been reopened several times in the last 99 years. Even clairvoyants have been given a chance at it. In his book, bear with me as I say this title, I'm going to try it in German. Oh, this is going to be great. Okay, go for it. Hinterkaifeck, Spüren ein Mysteriosen Verbrechen. That's the name of the book. Author Peter Luschner details how the bodies of the Gruber family and the maid were beheaded not long after the original autopsies and the skulls were sent to Munich 
where clairvoyants were employed to seek out metaphysical clues from the Gruber family skulls. They were hoping that the- Okay, wait a second. Back the fuck up. Word up, G. Is this a- Is this true? Like, this can be verified. This is a verifiable thing? 100%. They cut their heads off and sent their skulls to clairvoyants to examine and get, like, vibrations off. Correct. Okay, I'm so glad I was sitting down. What the fuck? And it's much ado about nothing because the clairvoyants came up with nothing. The spirits did not talk to them and reveal who did this to them. Did they get to keep the heads? Well, it's interesting that you say that. In 1923, I'll get to that in a sec. In 1923, the farm uh, caught fire. They don't know how or why. It was partially uh, destroyed and deemed unsafe. So it ended up being completely demolished. The family was buried without their heads in a plot in Weidhofen. A monument stands today near where the farm used to be memorializing the victims. It's actually very, you know, it's, it's very plain, but it's tastefully done. That's nice. Yeah, that's nice. So... You asked about the skulls. The skulls were lost during World War II and were never recovered. Okay. Like so many other things that were lost in the Second World War, they probably succumbed to the bombings, right? They, the, the building that they yeah. were being housed in got destroyed. And it wouldn't have been something that they would have protected anyway, right? In 1999, an elderly woman contacted the authorities claiming her former landlord admitted to having information about the Hinterkaifex killings. Officials investigated this tip and learned the landlord supposedly made this claim in 1935. However, it was too late as the potential suspect mentioned in the lead was no longer alive in 99. Mm. Initial evidence gathered at the crime scene is either also lost or too ancient to give up secrets. Though in 2007, the Fürstenfeldbruck Police Academy took the Hinterkaifeck murders on as a cold case. Because of the relatively basic forensic techniques employed during their original investigation, as well as missing evidence and the later deaths of some suspects, they were unable to conclusively identify the murderer, though they did all agree on a theory. Out of respect for surviving family members of people related to the crime, however, that theory remains a secret. Oh, for God's sake. They don't want to say it and then be wrong, right? There's no way they can't definitively prove it but they feel really strongly that this is who it is they they did mention though that for the most part the police in 22 did a good job they interviewed all the people i guess that they would have interviewed the one thing though that they didn't do and this was something that was technology they had access to even back then they didn't fingerprint anything okay and isn't that a little weird and that's the most basic of all forensic exercises is the gathering of fingerprints right well, and I'm going to throw this out there for you. What happens if it was there was police involvement? You never know back then, right? Well, I'm just saying, who who knows, right? Maybe if there's communist leanings, maybe there's, I mean, the that Nazi movement starting at that point already. I don't know. I'm I'm totally spitballing. This is not based on any sources. This is me just sort of rambling with my thoughts. I just found that weird. That was a glaring omission right. to not yeah. fingerprint. Yeah, that's like, that's like Investigation 101. It's been almost 100 years since the family on Hinterkaifeck Farm was murdered. Over 100 suspects have been interviewed, but the perpetrator or perpetrators of the crime remain unidentified. At this point, it seems unlikely the public will ever know who committed the murders or why. 
Whatever secrets the Gruber family kept in life and death, they now slumber alongside them in the grave. And that, Riley, is the Hinterkaifeck murders. I love your last, your last line was very, the end of like a Rod Serling broadcast, you know? I've been in often referred to as the Rod Serling of the North. He was amazing. I loved Thank he, you. He, my favorite show that Rod Serling ever did was Night Gallery. It was terrifying. I thought you were going to say Night Rider because I thought that one was pretty good too. Kit, what a car. It wasn't good. You know what I found the most unsettling proposition that you offered in that was the fact that there might have been someone in the attic. Nothing fucks me up more than stories about people secretly living in people's houses, like in their attics or whatever. It just, that the whole idea, I just find that so fucking unsettling. And they're watching and waiting, biding their time. Uh no, I agree. It's so that this story is creepy, even if you're not going to go the ghost angle. Yeah. Very strange. It's like the Zodiac murders, right? It's probably not, it's not, it's most likely not supernatural, but it's damn creepy and odd and weird and strange. Well, it's incredibly violent. It's, it's incredibly violent. There are elements of it that it's very planned. It was very meticulous. The fact that, again, the bodies were stacked up. They were arranged in a kind of a ritualistic way. Yeah. And the fact that the perpetrator, it's, the evidence suggests that the perpetrator of this crime remained on the premises after the crime had been committed. That's pushes it way over the cliff into like what the fuck land. But if it's a serial killer, I mean, they usually repeat, right? Yeah, They exactly. don't one-off. Where were, Where is the other murder that resembles that? I, I read somewhere where someone made a claim that it could. there was a serial killer in Germany at the time, but he, this doesn't fit his, you know, his style of killing. And he wasn't in the area at the time. Honestly, I have nothing because there's no way to speculate because I just don't know the players involved. You know who I think did it? The baby daddy? Hansel and Gretel. Those dirty little children came out and uh, Gretel was on Hans's shoulders. And when they trudged through the snow, he threw her up into the attic. And then he disappeared with, with a little gumdrop that he'd stole from the witch that made him go invisible. That's what or I maybe think. it was the witch. Maybe she just pushed the back out of that oven and off she went. I just want to know when Hans Gruber gets involved in this story. And that also maybe explains why he was so angry when he went to Nakatomi Towers. We should rewrite it and call it Hans Gruber and Gretel. And this sweet little German girl, and then this bitter, like, really driven man. But it's her, and she's the same character, right, in the story. And it's Hans Gruber, but also all his team. Yes, yes. Especially that blonde guy that you hate so much. With those sweatpants? <laughs> Into the witch's place. Yes, with those sweatpants, yes. And then the witch, the witch would become really the victim in that, because, you yeah. know, you'd want her to yeah. kill them. Oh, that'd be funny. We need a Christmas skit. It's going to be Hans Gruber and Gretel. Yeah. Great. All right. I like that story. I really like that story. That was um, unsettling. Yeah. It's another weird one that, uh, I'm again, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it before. I'm glad I did because it, it just, I find it eerie. And there's, again, it's one of those stories where it's very hard to have an answer for it, you know? And I like well, that. Well, nothing... Nothing's more upsetting than an unsolved mass murder. Well, that's not really a mass murder, but an unsolved murder of such brutality and such scope. I was very eloquent just there. Exactly. Yeah, you were. Yeah. It's good for you. Those yeah, classes are paying ch- off. Riley, uh, I think we can uh, put a pin on this here. Folks, thanks for listening to The Weird. We appreciate your support wherever you are in the world, unless, of course, you are listening to us from Nepean, Ontario. If you're in Nepean, Ontario, get off our podcast. We don't want your listenership. And hello, Bhutan. 
and hello Bhutan. If for people wondering, Nepean, Ontario is a suburb of the city that I live in and Riley used to live in. And I actually have a lot of friends. I think I even have family there. I never, ever in my life lived in Nepean. What are you talking about? I've never lived in Nepean. You lived in Ottawa. Yeah, but I've never lived in Nepean. I didn't mean that you lived there. Anywho, I like Nepean enough to say you can listen to this show too. I was being... What's the word? Everybody from all over the world is just leaning on their elbow right now going, oh, shut up. Unless you're from Queens. Queens? Like New York? If you're from Queens, New York, don't listen to this show. Please listen to this show. I love Queens. I'm rambling. All right, folks, uh, thanks for listening to The Weird. We really appreciate uh, when you reach out to us as well. Mm -hmm. Do that. Spread the word of The Weird. Uh, That is how we grow this, Baba. And uh, we hope that you tune in next time when Riley unfolds the mystery of the caramel chocolate bar. Yeah, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm not going to even respond to that. Just to let you guys know, we have a guest coming up in the next couple of weeks. And this is a guest you've never heard before. So someone new to the, new to the pod will be joining us to give us um, their, uh, their take on the weirdness of the world. And we're looking forward to that. So until uh, next week. Take care and keep listening, and we're so very grateful that you join us. Bye now. Good night, everybody. Candy and ice cream and pickled herring and sweet and sour upside down cake and hard boiled all day suckers. That's good, yeah. That's good. What she says, old fist bang. Yeah, yeah, she be. Here we go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we go. Go, go.